It's good to see everybody. We're going to begin tonight looking at a couple of verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from the King James Version here, because the wording, I think, in that particular translation is interesting and suits the idea that we want to explore tonight. So verses 24 through 26 there, it says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So here as we see this instruction, really to each of us, as we all are seeking to be servants of the Lord, we have the expectation that we'll be seeking to teach others and help others to come out of sin and embrace the forgiveness that is in Christ. But I think here as we read about those who are yet lost in sin and the way that they're described, I think it's interesting because he talks about those that oppose themselves. And that is the title of our lesson tonight, Opposing Ourselves. And when you stop and think about getting caught up in the things that God has defined as sin, that's really what we're doing. And we're going to explore that tonight in a number of different senses. We're going to see how that sin can affect us negatively, obviously, from the, the spiritual standpoint, first and foremost, but even going beyond that, thinking about physical things. When we get caught up in sin, we often do much damage, even to our earthly lives. And it's often perplexing because we'll look and we'll see people, maybe a, a co-worker or a family member, uh, it could be just about anybody, but we can see people who are clearly caught up in something that is sinful, and we can see the devastation that it is causing, not only to them, but to those around them in their lives. And we often find ourselves, if you're like me anyway, you find yourselves wondering, well, why, why would somebody do that? You know, why would they get caught up in something like that? Can't they see how terrible it is? But oftentimes, people seem to be blinded to the destruction that they are causing, not only to their physical life, but their soul and their spirit, when they get caught up in their own selfish desires. And so hopefully, as we explore some of these things tonight, it will help us to guard against these things ourselves. And the thing is, of course, that we can be opposing ourselves and other people might not even be aware that it's happening. You know, it could be a very personal thing. Sometimes the sins that we get caught up in are what we would say secretive by nature, and other people aren't aware of them. And so even though we are going to be talking a lot about the visible nature, the visible destruction that sin can often bring tonight, we, we want to recognize also that sometimes others are not aware that these things are going on. And so this is a, an opportunity for us to reflect personally upon the way that we are living. 
We're going to start off by thinking about self-imposed negativity. You might think, well, what's that all about? What's self-imposed negativity? Well, if you look at the first letter of each of those words, S-I-N, you stop and think about what sin brings about, what it causes. Well, it it's negative, isn't it? We think about, first and foremost, like we said, spiritually, it causes us to be separated from God, which is, there's no positive there, right? And that leads to eternal destruction, eternal separation from Him. But also, like we said, oftentimes we, in essence, kind of shoot ourselves in the foot, even physically speaking. We cause ourselves harm because we are seeking after what we want instead of what God wants. Just a sampling of scriptures there, all of these I'm sure we could probably quote, if not quote word for word, we could paraphrase what they say. First uh, John 3 and verse 4, of course, defines what sin is. It tells us there that sin is the transgression of God's law. Isaiah 59, the first two verses there explain what sin does. It tells us that sin, iniquity, causes a separation. It's not that God is not able to reach out and save us. It's not that He is uh, unable to know the problems that we have. It's in that instance there, again, I'm paraphrasing that particular quotation. The problem was that they had gotten caught up in sinful things and thus separated themselves from God. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. It is a severance of our relationship with our Creator. In James chapter 1, we might just turn over there and read from the first chapter of James. He describes, well, how does this all happen? How does sin come about? Is it something that uh, we're forced to do against our will? Does the devil come along and just you know, make us do these bad things? Well, James explains to us here that Sin is, is a conscious choice that we each make. Starting there in verse 13, he says, Let no one say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires, and he's enticed. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. He says, do not be deceived my beloved brethren. So, throughout the lesson tonight, I thought we would look at some examples of this self-imposed negativity that people often bring upon themselves. Some specific examples, if you will, in which we can see this play out. And again, of course, the hope is that we would avoid these things and seek to help others who might be caught up in them. The first example that I thought of relates to uh, sexual sin, sexual immorality, which has always been a problem. It's not like it's anything new, but it certainly seems that it's more prevalent these days, and I think that's probably just because of the technology that we have, and it's just easier to access certain things than it used to be, and so more people get caught up in some of these things. But the Bible warns us time and time again, about the dangers of sexual sin. 
of fornication and adultery, these kinds of things, and how it does nothing but bring us harm. I'd like us to first look over here in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read, starting there in verse 12. The apostle there writes and says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one flesh or one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. He says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Come with me back to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. And here the proverb writer is talking about somebody who would be married, somebody who is in a God-ordained relationship, and the temptations that some, can sometimes arise uh, to go against that relationship and to commit adultery with somebody else, and he talks about the destructive nature of that. You start with me there in verse 20. We'll read down through the end of chapter 6. He says, My son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp. The law is a light. Reproof of instruction. These are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Now, as we read down through this, keep in mind that this can go the other way too. You know, women can be seduced by men who would have impure motives. Verse 25, do not lust after her beauty in your heart. Do not let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. He asks the question, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's starving, yet when he's found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. He says, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. 
wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a a husband's fury, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give many gifts. So both of those passages, they they talk about the destruction that you can bring upon yourself when you pursue these, these particular types of sin. It damages our reputation, it damages our very physical you know, health or well-being. Uh, there's nothing good that comes from pursuing a sexual relationship outside of marriage as God has ordained it. You know, the Hebrew writer in chapter 13, I believe it's verse 4, tells us that uh, the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, he says, God will judge. And so this is one such way where we see how people can oppose themselves and maybe not even realize they're doing it. They don't consciously, you know, nobody's going to consciously do something that's detrimental to themselves, right? But yet people do it every day and they don't realize what they're doing. And that's kind of the point of what we're discussing here. What about letting our emotions get out of control, right? Uh, Sometimes people will make the argument, well, you know, going back to the previous point, well, that's just how people are made. That's just how I'm wired. That's just what I want. You know, God made me this way. What's wrong with me seeking to fulfill those desires? Well, nothing as long as you're doing it the way God said, right? And the same can be true with emotions, right? We all have emotions. God gave us those, right? But we can abuse that, just like we can everything else that God made. We can pervert it. And so it is with our anger as an example. I mean, we think about what happened with Cain and Abel. Back to the very beginning of of time. You go back to Genesis chapter 4 and read, starting there in verse 1, it says, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord, and she bore again, this time his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So his emotions uh, have been ignited, and, and now he's going to let those emotions basically consume him and cause him to do. Uh, some things he ought not to do, and it's going to lead to some some consequences. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now, notice he says, You are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And you think about people who 
even today, they, they give in to their jealousy or their anger with somebody else about whatever it might be, and it leads them uh, to even rise up and kill somebody. And what's that do for their life? Well, it might feel good for a minute, right? Ah, I got my justice. Uh, but then the red and blue lights come, right? And well, we're going to take you away to jail. So now you've uh, inflicted yourself. You've opposed yourself to the point now your, your freedom is taken away and you've got to live in a jail and deal with all the realities of that situation. Uh, it does nothing good when we allow our anger, our emotions to get the best of us. Another place we might consider is over in Ephesians chapter 4. Just a couple of verses there. Looking at verses 26 and 27. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Anger is not the problem. It's when we let the anger cause us to sin, you see. He says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So you see, when we let our emotions run rampant, that's when Satan steps in and tempts us to do things that we ought not to do. What about money? All right, that's another way that people often do nothing but cause themselves misery. They get caught up in the pursuit of earthly riches. And Paul talks about that some over here in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. 1 Timothy 6, we'll start in verse 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. Certain we can carry nothing out. And so having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Notice he says, they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I'm sure we've made the point before. You've probably read articles or seen documentaries or what have you about you know the rich and the famous. People get fascinated with, you know, celebrity, and what, what would that be like to be, you know, so well-known and to have all these riches and things, and, and oftentimes what is the reality is that those people are not all that happy. <laughs> they, uh, they, in essence, give up a lot of things, you know, they, they don't have a lot of freedom because if they go out to the supermarket, well, everybody knows who they are, and then everybody's, you know, trying to get a picture or you know, their privacy is given up, but the, the riches themselves you know, in the pursuit of those things, realizing that, you know, the more I get, uh, the more I still lack, you know, these things aren't bringing me any lasting joy or satisfaction. Uh, they're not making me feel complete in life, not giving me a purpose. You, you very quickly realize that anytime you you might come into some money or whatever, and you feel like even for a moment, like, ah, hey, I'm rich, you know, I got this under control, this is good. It doesn't take long before you start to realize how, how empty that is. 
Now let's come back to the book of Proverbs once again. Let's look here in chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll start there in verse 10. Read down through verse 19. So we read there, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, and whole like those who go down to the pit. And what's the point of all this? You know, Why are they looking to prey on the innocent? Well, it goes on, well, well, we're going to find all kinds of precious possessions, you see. And we'll fill our houses with spoil. So cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. Now wisdom, again, interjects here and speaks and says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. You know, if you go out, Dave probably can relate to this, and you're setting traps for some kind of animal. Well, you don't do that with the animal standing there watching you do it. They're just going to say, you dummy, and they're just going to walk right around it, right? You do it when they're not around, when they don't see when you need to camouflage the trap, right? So that it's not apparent. But then notice he says, verse 18, they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. It's like setting a trap for your own self, in other words, is what he's saying there. And so here again, we see how people, they get caught up in these things and they don't realize it, but ultimately they're doing themselves nothing but harm. What about people who would twist the scriptures? That's one maybe we didn't see coming, right? People who say, well, you know, if I preach a version of the gospel that maybe I'll just leave out this one thing, it would appeal to so many more people, and then I'll do real well for myself, and maybe they convince themselves somehow that they're doing well for others this way, and I, you know, picked Joel Austin there as my example of somebody like that who teaches some version of the gospel, but certainly not the gospel we read about in the pages of Scripture. It's more of a uh, feel-good, motivational speech type doctrine, right, where you just put enough faith in God and He's going to take care of everything and you don't need to worry. There's nothing about obedience to His will and a baptism into Christ for forgiveness of sins. Just a couple examples of things that He neglects to talk about. But let's come back here to 2 Peter chapter 3 for a minute. 2 Peter chapter 3, right at the end of the chapter there, looking at verses 14 through 18. Peter says, Beloved, looking forward to these things, he's talking about the end of time and how the earth is going to be dissolved, uh, but yet hope awaits those that are faithful. 
So looking forward to that, he says, Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, he speaks in them of these things. And then he says, In which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. He says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So, Peter was aware that people were going to twist things and pervert things and lead many astray, all in the name of Christ, all in the name of God, all in the name of doing the right thing, right? And so many people are deceived into thinking that they're doing the right thing these days, but they're opposing themselves and they don't even realize it because they, they've believed a lie. Back here to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we were there a little earlier, but we're going to read a little bit closer to the beginning of the chapter, verses 3 through 5. He says there, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy and strife and reviling, and evil suspicions and useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds who are destitute of the truth. And then he says, notice, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. And that's sadly what some have decided godliness is, is good for in this world. They look at it as a means to enrich themselves. And many have done that. These people that you see on TV that write all these books and have all these followers, right? But they're not teaching the truth. So they've, they've used godliness as a means of gain, but they've, they've also deceived a great many people. And not only are they bringing destruction upon themselves, but they are leading many to the same sad fate. Now, obviously, we could go on and we could look at other examples of the same idea but I want us to think about how we can be set free from this opposition to ourselves. How can we save ourselves from ourselves, you might say? Well, the, the solution is in Christ, and the solution is in subjecting ourselves to His will, to following the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I'd like us to just to read through Romans chapter 6, because the whole chapter is... Uh, I think speaks to the thoughts that we've been considering together tonight. A lot of this is familiar to most of us, but uh, it's good for us to be reminded of these things. So Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall he who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we 
should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now you remember back to the opening passage that we looked at where we first saw that language about people opposing themselves and also mentioned how they were taken captive by the devil to do his will. Sin is captivity. It's captivity to our adversary that leads to death. And so notice here as we read about those that have died with Christ to be raised again to new life, he talks about how they've been set free. If we died, verse 8, with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And that's what the old man did. We're not doing that anymore, in other words. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but now we're presenting ourselves to God as being alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law but under grace. So what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Well, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin that leads to death or of obedience that leads to righteousness? But he says, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, though you were opposing yourselves, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, that likeness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so now, having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented yourselves members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, he says, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have then in the things of which you're now ashamed? Just as we've looked at all these examples tonight, what, what, what lasting value is there in any of that stuff? It does nothing but causes harm. He says, the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, not death, but everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there's our solution, right? Here's the answer to our question. How do we become free from this destructive lifestyle, this lifestyle of opposition that leads to more and more lawlessness, that leads to an end of death and destruction? It's submission to Jesus Christ and a determination to be committed to His will in our lives. And so tonight, perhaps, as you consider yourself, maybe you recognize that you're opposing yourself, or you have been, and you recognize the need to make a change. Well, we certainly would love to help you in making that change. Whether you need to obey the gospel and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, as we've just read about there in Romans chapter 6. 
or whether you need to repent publicly and turn from something as Simon did there in Acts chapter 8, you recall. Whatever it would be, we would love to assist you and help you to be able to leave here tonight at peace with God. So if you have a need at this time, we'll simply ask that you come up to the front while our brother leads us in the song of invitation.